I remember my very first olfactive class, our French professor, he had us smell rose essential oil. He closed his eyes and he just asked us, what do you see? And it was just like my mind was blown. This is a podcast about aroma and how it impacts our life consciously and subconsciously. I'm Kayla Jacobs, a beauty and health writer living in New York, also an aromatherapy student and scent nut. Today, I'm so excited to welcome perfume creator, aka Nose of Noses, Linda Song, to the podcast. What's a nose, you ask? A nose is a term used to describe a perfume artist, someone who is capable of portraying moods, emotions, and concepts through fragrance composition. Linda works at the storied house of Givaudin. It's a rarefied and secretive world of creation, which hopefully you'll be able to get a little insight into today. This creation nudges us towards how we smell, sometimes quite gently and sometimes quite forcefully and globally. It's not a stretch to say that how we consume fragrance says a lot about our society and where that's leading us. And I also don't think it's a stretch to say that we all want a smell that's going to hit us in the face, in the best sense, like an adventure. And ideally, if that's wrapped up by a millennia's worth of whispers, fragrant whispers, say on a hot dirt track, then even better. I met Linda in the summer, and it was like falling in platonic fragrant love, which gave me quite a thrill. Simply put, scent pretty much is everything. Whether you're marvelling at its ability to create an aforementioned mood, shape a story or capture memory, it's our sense that encapsulates the entirety of the human experience. So Linda joins me today to talk about all of that and more, constant push for exploration, why gender is irrelevant in modern perfume, memories of her beloved sister's first fragrance. Fun fact, Brazilians apparently don't like coconut in their fragrances, but go figure, Americans do. And another fun fact, supposedly there are more astronauts than noses in the whole entire world. So welcome and thank you for, for being my guest. Thank you for having me. I think when I met you, it was just brilliant because the alchemy of perfume is so intriguing to me. I look at what you do from the outside and it sort of feels like you're a wizard, you know, like you're the wizard of Oz. Talk me through, how did this even come to be? You know, did you want to be a nose from a really young age? How did this happen for you? You know, it's funny that you say like kind of the wizard of Oz, because I I think there's a reason for that too, because it's uh, the industry is so small and, and it, does have this feeling of secrecy behind it. And it's really more just because ideas have been passed on from generation to generation. And because the industry is in France, you tend to find quite a lot more information in French than you do in English, for sure. Kind of a background to me saying that I had no idea that this industry existed. I come from a Korean family where, you know, even fragrance was something that my parents were discovering when they moved to the States. Mm. And so my actually first discovery of it was... After college, I yeah. had no idea what I wanted to do, but I had a biology degree and I just decided to go to France to teach English for a year. And in that time, I had a lot of free time and I did a lot of reading. And I actually read about a chemist who was patenting a molecule for the beauty industry. And it was the first time that I really thought about those two industries together. And I did a little bit more research and then I found out about this program in France um, for a master's degree, um, combining this idea of science and business and um, taking it into the workplace. And so I researched what a lot of people in the industry know as a SIPCA. It's actually a school that was started by Jean-Jacques Galland specifically for perfumers. And 
they had a degree that was both for fragrance and cosmetics. I ended up going there thinking with my biology degree that cosmetics would be the way for me to go. But I remember my very first olfactive class and our French professor, he had a smell rose essential oil and he closed his eyes and he just asked us, what do you see? And it was just like, my mind was blown. We talk about it as discovering a new language. And it's interesting because when I was living in France, I learned French and then it was like learning a whole nother language, but a whole nother alphabet. It was equivalent to learning Russian for me, you know, or as many people say Chinese because it was just so different. And I found it fascinating because there were just so many different facets to it kind of the beginning of the the end for me there where where kind of logical practical way of of thinking I decided not to to continue and I came back to New York I started working for Jivadon and really it was a luck of like timing and the people that I got to meet and a short time later I got to go to the Jivadon perfumery school and now I'm here I'm just taking a step back. I think it's really interesting because you come from a biology background and the, the world of creation is is very scientific, but there is also something else to it that I think a lot of people who are quite scientific maybe don't necessarily or can't lean into, but you can do both. Absolutely. I mean, I can tell you that the amount of science that I use on a daily basis is less than 1%. It can be an aid in certain cases, I think, depending on what type of perfumery you're doing. I personally don't use it at all. <laughs> so so it was definitely, a, it is a medium generally for the industry and particularly at Asipka and a lot of um, perfumery programs who traditionally have studied chemistry. Um, I was able to use the chemistry that I had from, from my bachelor's degree to go to Asipka, but I do know several perfumers that have no science background at all and are extremely successful because it can help in certain places. But in the end, it really is about kind of this fluency and language that you create that has nothing to do with the science. Scent for me is such a romantic sense, but the whole idea of creating seems to me about uniting and it being a motive and bringing people together. That's the mystery. So is that the sort of alphabet or language, so to speak, that you go to every single time you start on a new fragrance? That is so beautiful what you said. And I think it's, I think it's much loftier even than what, what I do when I start from, from a creation standpoint. But I, I think the reason why I talk about it in language terms is that when we're creating a fragrance, it is a little bit like writing what I akin to writing maybe a novel or creating, you know, we, we talk about creating our own pieces of art. And so in that way, but the, the problems is that the materials that we're using are, um, are a bit abstract, right? Because you're smelling them. You can't point to a picture or to a book and say, mm -hmm. this sentence doesn't work or that color, you know, clashes with this or that medium doesn't stick to another one. I think there is sometimes this abstraction and difficulty of understanding fragrance sometimes. And that's really what we're trying to deal with is how can we take all of these materials and translate them in a way that people can understand? Not, not in the way maybe that it was written or that it was created, but just that it can transport them to hopefully to a desired place. Yes, exactly. And that's why people love to play around and wear fragrances because it's that transportive element that is so unique. And yeah, as you say, it can take you anywhere. I mean, I, I also think it's really interesting that you're a non-French woman in the industry because 
as you've touched on before, but I'm not sure if a lot of people know, it's been a really male-dominated profession, right, in essence. And I, I also think I'm not sure if people know that fragrance houses sort of traditionally were passed down through the male members of the family. And so if you had a head perfumer, say, at the house of Chanel, if he retired, he might pass it down to his son. Is that correct? Right. <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's there definitely has been a lot of families in the industry, particularly from Grasse, where the industry really was born. And I understand a certain aspect of it because the exposure that you have to the materials, the understanding of where the industry comes from, how these materials are actually come about to the point that you use them. The families that have had generations in Grasse over a long period of time, it made sense for them to work as perfumers or in the industry. You know, obviously times have drastically changed and, and I'm extremely fortunate to be of that time where there's not, the market isn't just the French market anymore either. And Americans aren't just looking for French fragrances or, you know, Chinese, but, you know, it's a great example. They don't, they don't want to just adopt fragrances that were made in Europe. We're benefiting from the fact that it's a luxury good and we're seeing how consumers all over the world are opting in, you know, for a personal sense of luxury. Talk me through the process of creating. So you have a brief for a fragrance. Are we talking about at this point, a fragrance that you're making is for the Latin American market? Or is it global? Does it change depending on what you're creating? Absolutely. I think we always have to have the end consumer in mind. And it's it's interesting as a perfumer, sometimes I have my own personal likes and dislikes, but there there needs to be a limit to that. I can't put in everything that I like because because that's that's not always the goal. And and so it, it is very much knowing who our client is, what they're looking to um, launch onto the market and knowing who their consumer is. So uh, we do take a look at, for sure, um, age ranges, the brands, of course, that it is going to be and, and who it's going to be sold to. Can you give us a, a fun fact that maybe somebody in Brazil really likes a certain smell that maybe somebody in America wouldn't? Oh, it's so funny because um, in Brazil, they hate smells of coconut because it's a commodity for them. And Americans love coconut. So um, it really is interesting how, yeah, we have these cultural differences uh, that that really just don't translate, you know, over in different countries and languages. That must make creating quite hard in some respects, especially if it's a global brand that say like, a Calvin Klein, and it's going to go to everyone. It's, it's sort of finding the right balance. You're appeasing absolutely everybody in some way. Yes. I think on a flip side, I, I think with what we can call just how the world has become more global, that there have been cross influences to across borders. So it's interesting how American tastes have have changed quite a bit in even in the past 20 years. I think that generally we say that Americans like fruits and that's still very much true. But I think the American taste for what was considered maybe more European perfumery has definitely gained in appreciation. So we see a lot more sheep, a lot more woods and orientals that are coming into fragrances. There's a big swathe of the population that's very scent averse. It, there seems to be this 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 kind of skew towards smelling of nothing, and it's not it's not like it's even baby powder. It's not like it's even chemical, but it's like this sort of antithetical kind of smell. Yeah, we're in an interesting time right now because there is this idea 
of consumers wanting to be clean, to have everything be natural. And this is a, a difficult subject, I think, for us in perfumery, because we talk a lot about how naturals are, interestingly enough, contain. If I talk about a rose, there are hundreds of different molecules that compose of the essence of a rose. Essentially, also, even if you pick up a living rose and you smell it, you're getting hundreds of molecules all at one time. And the idea that we sometimes break down these compositions and we put those into fragrances and yet we call those synthetics but they're actually nature identical and so we even will say that there's more of a safety in a nature identical material because we know to a certain extent the purity of it whereas we make the comparison with wine a harvest every single year is going to be different which is why they have different vintages and therefore the taste will be different and the same thing with raw materials as well and in that way it's a bit of a misnomer that we say that naturals are are safe because in actuality, a lot of those nature identical materials are the ones that in Europe are listed as allergens. And that's what I think the general consumer doesn't know, but it creates for such a long explanation, it becomes difficult to say, actually, you know, sometimes nature can be more dangerous. <laughs> Not that that's what I want to say, but but that's what we're listing as the allergen. And yes, in anything to extreme is not going to be good for you. But that's when, you know, if we're putting things in a parts per million, then we're not looking at any issues of safety. But it's also about respect towards nature. You know, with aromatherapy, you can't just take a bottle of lavender oil and put 20 neat drops on your skin. Right. That's really potent. So it's all about how you use something as well. The conversation, I think, in America, which is very much fragrance for pleasure, you know, in the way that we think of it, right? Whereas here, it's there is something to be gained from wearing something, or there is something to be gained from eating something. The autoimmune diseases and all the things that are kind of flying around. There is this thing of like, oh, be careful because this is going to disrupt your hormones, or this can do that. I think it's interesting that you get to create globally, but you're creating in America for, I would say, in some ways, like a relatively new market for how they kind of sense and taste fragrance. Yeah. What, one thing that I think is interesting, we've done kind of different comparisons on, on the American consumer and let's say the French consumer and the reasons sometimes why they wear fragrance. And it, you touched that on that just a second about how Americans are doing it for some kind of other benefit, right? And and it's usually outward looking. It's usually looking to how they are perceived by others generally. And whereas a French woman, for example, is looking at it solely for the self and it's a personal experience. And I thought that that was really interesting because I think that even culturally, Americans, we pride ourselves as being individuals, but we're more concerned about how the others are perceiving us rather than really using fragrance as a pleasurable item for the self. And uh, I do tend to hear that more frequently, this idea of what what will this fragrance give me, mm. give an image of me to other people. So and not to say that that's the generalization, but we do see more examples of that rather than just personal preference. And, and so those notions must keep your creativity flourishing in so many ways because you're constantly having to think out the box. 
where that I mean that's what I love to do and I think that if we don't then I you know as a race I think we should we would die because it's just too monotonous totally Um, how do you do that though how do you keep your creativity flourishing in this industry the one thing about being a perfumer that I, I personally love is it is a very individual type of work where you know, it sounds it sounds kind of funny because people have this image of perfumers working in lab coats in a lab. And actually, I work in an office and I'll, uh, sitting behind a computer. And it's very much about working just kind of with ideas in my head and translating them on paper. But also, I, I like to relate it to playing. I do find that it, it's what's fun about it is just is always trying different combinations of trying. You know, you're always looking for like, oh, I've never put this material with this one. You know, is it because it's disgusting? Possibly, but it, it could also <laughs> create something, create a, a new effect. You know, I think I think I'm always looking for synergistic effects of materials, um, or you know, whether it be contrast or complementing effects. And I mean, knowing that we have hundreds of materials to work with, there's just such endless opportunities with what you can create. You know, the best example is when when I first started working um, actually as a, an assistant to a perfumer, I was so amazed just seeing his excitement at work every day when I would ask him about what he was working on and, and how he was constantly trying new things and new materials because we do get new materials onto our palette relatively frequently and how he would play around with them to see how they worked in, in fragrances or with other materials. And it was really like watching like a little kid in building blocks in a way, you know, but very much in his mind. And I loved how there was so much excitement in that. And, and to see somebody with so much experience, so many fragrances under his belt and, and that he could still have that excitement and find newness. And, and that was really, I think for me, what I wanted to go into this, into this profession for is just that, experimentation and constant play, constant exploration, um, looking for something new, because I, I just don't want to be bored. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's endless. I'm not sure there are that many people who don't love the idea of smelling something new and smelling something that kind of resonates and touches them. It is so exciting. And even better if you wear it and it smells amazing on your skin and people start complimenting you, what could be better? Right. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I think that you're also very unique and that you're, you have a passion for it and you're really open to it. And, that, and that's not always the case. <laughs> true. True that. So I, I this might be a difficult one, but is there one note that seems to have permeated all your creations? You know, you, you said before that you obviously can't put in everything you like to every single fragrance, but is there one thing that always finds its way in? Oh, that's like, even in our workplace, sometimes when we're, we, we actually have a, a project that we're, um, all of us perfumers, we contributed separate notes to, and we're actually going to be presenting them um, in the next couple of weeks. And we smelled these ideas blind between our whole team. And as we're smelling them, there's, you know, more often than not, some of us perfumers would say, oh, did did you make this Olivier or did you make this Jack? Because it smells like them. <laughs> I think every perfumer starts to get their style and um, not to say that it's going to be in every single fragrance because we work on quite a varied, um, varied amount of projects, but uh, there are definitely materials that each of us as individuals will gravitate towards and use on a regular basis. So absolutely. I think um, you have your kind of your cult favorites that you use at, at the right moments. It's a little bit like pulling your trump card sometimes too, of just saying like, oh, I, I know that this is going to work. 
or you have like little accords that you know of those materials that work well and you'll say, ah, this is going to be good here. So oftentimes, even on the market, for example, if you like a few fragrances, sometimes it's interesting to look at who the perfumer is because you may see consistencies in that too. Yes, I've definitely found that. I remember when I discovered uh, Maurice Roussel's Mousse Gravageur and I just fell in love with it in its entirety. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that he was also the nose behind Helmut Lang fragrance. And there was like also a bit of a similarity there. So it's exciting when you start to kind of be able to to put it together. Talking about fragrances, I, I mean, I think Mousse Gravageur is one of my favorites and and actually Guerlain's Vetiver. Like if I was a nose, I would love to say to you now, I would have loved to create those two. What totally. perfume do you wish you had created? Or have you created it? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, actually, there is one, especially when I was in perfumery school, It uh, when it came out, I thought it was such a cool way of taking really what we would consider classical fragrance ingredients and and making it super modern um, and unisex for me. And I was untitled by Martin Margiela. You know, Galbanum can be so classic. Ooh, and I know that. And yes. Yet this fragrance has... Although it does have masculine elements, you really see why it lands in that unisex category. And um, it's just, I love the warmth in the background, the olibanum and the amber. I just, I think it's a, a beautiful construction. It really is. I've smelt it and it is beautiful. And and that's interesting talking about sort of, I guess, gender fluid fragrances. We could say that now because I mean, the way that fragrances have been aimed at women and the way they've been aimed at men historically have been really different. Although it's all about sex and romance, isn't it? Or, or it has been. And so I think nowadays we're in this different era of everything being more fluid because in the last 12 years, I'm sure it's changed so much to be part of that arc. I love being a part of that because I think it's it's this idea of like who condoned us to, you know, only wearing pink or to only wearing blue, yeah. you know, like these these notions of what is masculine or feminine. And then and now that we have so many different variations in between. So it's really like this scale of I, I don't think you can ever even call it fully masculinity or femininity. Right. But I also think that it's interesting how it's little shifts of time too that we're right. we're looking at one snapshot of time where we're saying okay this is masculine and feminine but at, at another point like I actually think of you know a famous example is Jiki and that was a fragrance that was originally for women and it was more men that adopted it and I had a friend who he wore lots of really big rose floral fragrances and they smelled amazing on him mm. and it's just this idea that that just because it's destined for one thing doesn't mean that it can't work in another. And I think that, I think we're slowly moving towards that idea where even we're seeing some feminine fragrances that have more masculine nuances, maybe not even nuances, like signatures. And I I think it's, I think it's an exciting time because I think we're able to blend these boundaries a little bit better and we don't need to stay in a box. I've always loved wearing male scents. I mean, vetiver, as I said before, is one, but I also really love Caron. Um, pour un homme. Absolutely. I love that one. And yeah. all the lavender is amazing. And again, there are some ingredients in that that could be considered much more feminine, but it, it's a beautiful male scent, but it's also a beautiful uh, female scent too. Yeah, absolutely. I like that's a that's a classic, I think, for us because of that structure and of course the lavender. Um, and Vetiver from Guerlain is is beautiful. Amazing. Maybe you can tell me this. When I when I meet somebody and I really fancy them, you know, when you have that real visceral reaction, I 
often the next day because I, you know, descent is really much part of my lexicon and I can remember things in that respect, but I, I always forget what they smell like. I get this kind of like scent amnesia. Um, <laughs> do you know why? <laughs> I'm, I feel like I need, I need to ask as, as many people in the industry this as possible. Oh, that's so funny. Well, I, I, I do think that sometimes like the, the idea of when you don't recognize something, then you have a tendency to forget it. So, um, interesting, or, or maybe they weren't interesting enough. <laughs> I like it. That may, that maybe is better because I, I was, I was putting like a romantic idea on it, but maybe there is no romance in that. Well, you know, I always like a lot of people refer to that test of like, um, of women smelling, um, the used t-shirts. Oh yeah. The and, used t-shirts. And exactly. Exactly. And, and just how there is that idea of pheromones. And I, I definitely believe in that, but I, I do, you know, one thing that I, a lot of people will say, like, how do you remember sense? And I think it's, and just and that's why I kind of say language actually I sometimes I ask people like how do they even remember all the lyrics to the song because I'm so terrible at that but I think what it is is that when you have when you have kind of a specific focus on certain things like if I pointed out to you oh everybody today is wearing purple then maybe you'll start to notice all the people that are wearing purple and it's just kind of like when you start to notice specific things and you're going to be able to pull them out a lot easier and so we do that quite a lot with fragrances or even certain materials and fragrances too. And so to that end, how can we develop and heighten our sense of smell and perception? Do you have any tips or tricks? You're doing it every day, but if we want to develop our sense of smell. So I think maybe the most difficult thing that I see a lot of people having in the beginning is really creating that vocabulary. Uh, we tend to use certain adjectives like, oh, it's fresh, you know, or, you know, I hear a lot of people say, oh, it smells like alcohol. <laughs> and uh, yes, it absolutely does. But but you know, it really is, I think, like any a profession or just anything that you're exposed to, it's about repetition. So, um, you know, you're not going to know what a good paella is maybe from the first time because it's your first time having it. But if you have it maybe in Spain, in the right place with a fantastic <laughs> chef and in the right atmosphere, then then you maybe you have and you have the best example of it and then you have it repeatedly and then you start to understand, oh, what are the nuances of it? And so I think the same thing with with fragrance, if you smell repeatedly over and over and over again, but then it has to be with intention too, to a large degree, because if you just smell without thinking, then there's no way to recall that later. And, you know, even when we're training, you know, we have to put words to what we're smelling. And that's, you know, why we say it's very much a language. So um, if I'm describing, for example, lavender, then I know, okay, it is aromatic. And that is a very much a fragrance term, but we could say herbaceous, you know, it does have a sweetness to it. I could specify and even say it has tonka or note, which is actually coumarin, you know, and you can start to say, oh, it has some citrus freshness and it has some floral freshness. For example, if we're talking about like guirlande de vetiver, for example, you're talking about oh, well, where's the freshness coming from? Is it coming from bergamot? Is it coming from grapefruit? And the woodiness, is it an earthiness? Is it a dampness? Is it a dryness? And and really kind of deciphering the differences because it's interesting sometimes when I have people smell blindly citruses. Everybody knows a grapefruit. Everybody knows an orange or a clementine even. And But if I give that scent to you blind, it's amazing how many people will get really confused because you don't have the visual 
association with what you're smelling. And that sometimes was difficult. So if you don't constantly smell repeatedly to figure out, oh, well, actually orange and grapefruit have a similar top note, but over time, grapefruit gets a little bitter than, and, you know, just starting to compare, oh, well, bergamot has both an orange lemony top note, but then gets more floral over time. It's like just these kind of differentiating out, oh, mandarin has a little bit of a floral note, and that's what differentiates it from some of the other citruses. Then it's kind of getting to those details that that as perfumers that we're looking at. And then I think if we're looking at it on a fragrance scale and you're comparing, for example, Vetiver de Guerlain from Eterna Mez, you know, they both have vetiver in common, for example, but then you can start to decipher out like, okay, what are, what are the other differences between those two? And why do I like one versus more versus another? Yeah. I mean, the, the Guerlain's Terre is like, it's like that kind of classic male scent. I feel like most men wear that, don't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a fantastic fragrance. I think that's a, that's a great example too of a modern men's fragrance. Yeah. I mean, it is beautiful. I, I did have a long-term ex who wore that. So I, I have like a weird association with Rejection. it. But I, I, yes. <laughs> or something. I just, I, 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 I appreciate it, but I'm like, stay away from that. But I love that because it's like now that it's associated with an ex, it's, it, it's true that we have those associations and, and it can both make or ruin a scent for you. Right. What was, what was the first perfume you ever wore? So I stole it from my sister because everything that my sister did was cool. But uh, she <laughs> wore Lodice um, from Ise Miyake. Oh, nice. That's, that's very classic and, and chic. Mine was, um, I mean, it's hilarious. Mine was Amarige, which I just think is such a grown-up fragrance. But like my mom, but my mum bought it for me. Um, so maybe it was like her who influenced my kind of like darker, deeper smellings. But like to wear Amarige as a 12-year-old <laughs> is, is a bit random, I, I think. Love that. <laughs> but I still love it. You know, it's just like, if I, if I still smell, it, it smells different to me now because I, I feel like the, the formulations change, but still, if I get a little hit of that, I'm like, Ooh. Oh, that's funny. Do you have memories that come back from that too? Yes. Yes. It's the beauty of youth in, in one inhale in, in some way. And in innocence, even though it's not the most innocent smelling fragrance, but <laughs> the irony, the irony how many creations might you be working on at one time? Like at the moment, what are you up to? Oh, it's a little crazy busy right now. So I'm working on probably 30 to 50 ideas right now. It's, it's particularly busy. And how many of those, let's say, could make it into becoming a standalone fragrance that goes out into market? Oh, that's what's so insane too. I mean, I think for any person who wants to be a perfumer, you really have to be comfortable with rejection and failure because you fail all the time. If I say I'm working on 15 of those 30 fragrances, let's say, I would be hopeful if even just one of them actually went onto the market. You know, you're looking at less than 10% of winning sometimes. That's that's very interesting because I think that that whole idea of um of rejection and failure they sort of coexist really seamlessly in our collective consciousness, don't they? And so for you to be constantly creating in such a I know it's a scientific way, but it's also such an emotive way. And then to you know it's like putting a baby out with all your ideas and someone saying, "No, I don't like that baby. It's not so pretty." Or you know you're just like, "What? That's my little baby." But I wonder if it's it was more a sort of female um yeah. idea less than a male idea i mean not that men don't suffer from failure and rejection but i wonder if um we just consider our disappointments in in different contexts 
I think from the experience that I've seen, it tends to be a very individual, just how sometimes I think, how do you deal with life? <laughs> Almost yeah. even too. Yeah. It's, uh, it's like, you know, who are the people who can kind of just pick themselves and keep going on? You know, who are the people that, you know, in those moments of making a mistake, do you do you learn from it or do you blame it on somebody else? You know, it's, it's almost like kind of, I feel like fragrance has been like a life lesson for me too, in a way, because, because it's like, okay, there, there are some things that, that work and that don't. And, and how much responsibility am I going to take for it? How much is it, you know, I think even a fragrance that is on the market, like if it does well, or if it doesn't, you know, is how much, how much of that uh, is a piece of me or is it a piece of, of the marketing or the bottle or, you know, where it was placed in, in the store on a, you know, comparison of male to female. I think that, I think I've really found that there are certain individuals who just deal with kind of the type of this job better than others. You know, like, like I said, I, I do find it to be a very individual style of work. So I think that somebody who needs to be constantly pushed and prodded to do things, I, I struggle to see them really taking off in something like this because it's so much of self-discipline that you don't have the motivation to do it. It's really not up to anybody else to, to, to tell you to work on it. So yeah, I guess that can apply to a lot of different professions, but I, I think because we're very much in our own heads, we stay in our offices and, you know, the ideas should really start from the self that, that I think that that, that person needs to have a certain amount of, of grit, I guess. Yeah. Well, so you're, you're shining um, a light on, on this process of creating and you're talking about ideas and phases. So let's say that something gets approved. How long roughly would it be from ideation phase to go to market phase? I think it'd be so interesting for people to know actually how long that takes. Yeah. I, you know, I think that even on, I've, I've seen a fragrance go from ideation in a, on a short period to to launching in a very fast time it would be a year but i have had ideas that have stood the test of time and been developed you know off and on not consistently but from the point of ideation to um to launch well over five years i've heard even longer which i would believe because because i know that there are some ideas that i worked on maybe eight years ago that I'm still working on now today. And it doesn't mean that I'm working, I've been working on it every day for the past eight years, but maybe I've put it aside because I was too close to it. And then I picked it up again for something else that maybe was relevant. Or maybe another time I said, oh, I remember this and I wanted to add maybe a new material to it. And so, so there's just kind of a constant evolution. So I think that really that it does take quite a lot of time. <laughs> and And if you are putting out a relatively finished fragrance in a short period of time, you're most likely using something that you've, that you've worked on before to create that. I think if you're just starting with a blank page. So less of an originality. Well, I, I wouldn't say less original because I, like I said, if I pick up something from eight years before, I'm picking it up because it has a new idea that still hasn't been seen. But it's also to say that it, if you're working from a blank page, you're not going to get the masterpiece the next day. And it is very much about like creating those layers and making sure that it it stands 
you know, when we say the test of time, it's even like, how, how does it wear on the skin? You know, what, what is that volume? Like, what is that trail going to be like? Yeah, it is finally, I think something that is hard to describe, but it's not, yeah, just of, of the lack of immediacy that, that we do, but that there's this, our industry is so much about, we want it quickly, we want it fast. And that's just the nature of, I think, how today is. Yeah, but masterpieces take time. Well, if if the one that's been in development for eight years ever comes out, I'd love to smell it. That sounds <laughs> exciting. So with, with all the fragrances you've created, do you sort of, do you keep them lined up? But like, I feel like if, if I was you, I, you know, I'd, I'd have them on a shelf lined up like pieces of art. Do you do that? <laughs> um, well, we do have a, a practice generally to keep the winds in our office. So, so we do most people generally do have them displayed at least other workplace. I definitely don't do that at home because I live in New York city, but can you, can you tell us um, some of the, the fragrances that you've created? I can tell you some. Um, I'm like, unfortunately there's a few that I can't. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Uh, I did work on the Elizabeth James, the French gray. I worked on Melrose place from the, actually the hair care brand Way when they launched it as a fragrance. I worked on the Toka Maya and the Fair Wang from the Embrace. I think out of all of those, I, I might have only smelt the Toka. Uh, yeah, yeah. Nowadays, when somebody goes to a big department store, you know, especially like in a big beauty hall, I feel like you've still got all those women who are like, come here, let me spritz this on you. What do you do if you get like attacked by someone, you know, with like a really dodgy smelling fragrance that you smell on your skin? You're like, oh my God, this is horrific. Like, how do you neutralize the smell? What's a good tip? Oh, unfortunately, I think the best way is to go immediately to the bathroom and just wash it off. (laughs) (laughs) Just wash it off straight away. (laughs) Um, But I think another thing too, that, that a lot of people don't do when they're in when they're in a department store, if they're even trying to shop for fragrances, is is to give it time. You know, the same way where to to create it, um, it needs time even to live with it. And oftentimes, a lot of people don't have the time, so they're just smelling the very top note. But the top note is so different from the how a fragrance ends up on skin over several hours and really the core of what you're going to be smelling over time. So I think that even if there is that immediate reaction of ew, then I would say just give it a little bit of time and go back and smell it, you know, after 15 minutes, after half an hour, after an hour. And I mean, if that's a consistent, then okay, no, <laughs> wash it off. But but I, it's interesting too how we do this quite a lot. Like even in our teams, we'll smell something one day and the next day, maybe with a fresh nose or better night's sleep, how the next day something can smell very different or even in a different floor in a different office. And, and just that first impressions can sometimes be deceiving. I think both in people and in fragrances. It's a good metaphor for life. I like it. I feel like the, the, the art of perfumery is, is, is good kind of tools and strategies. I mean, I know that everyone I'm sure is going to ask you this question, but I have to ask it to you. Top five favorite smells or top three favorite smells ever. Oh, mine are definitely personal for sure they're 
you know, really going to be tied. I think, I think a lot of people will have their mother in there at some point. Yes. <laughs> um, um, but, you know, and mine actually probably the first one is really of cooking at home. You know, if you grow up in a Korean family, I think, I think a lot of cultures too, where just food is so prominent. And I think that that smell of like soy and sugar co- combined is, is always going to just be one of those that, that reminds me of home. And usually with like an underlying of like an earthiness of mushrooms and chestnuts and um and 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 so you know because that's just boiling for hours in the home I think um you know we talked about it earlier but I you know I think you think about the people that you love and what they what they smell like and so I think Lodice like I said like my sister was somebody that I looked up to forever and and I think that's like a fragrance I was it was just kind of always going to be a marker in my life for me because it was about growing up it was about really, I think my first discovery of fragrance that later on, I would, even though at that time I had no idea what I would be doing later on in life, but really did um, mark me actually. And, um, and then what my mom actually ended up wearing and she loved quite a lot was uh, Jarana Mediterranean from, from Hermes. And, and worse smell? Oh, feet. <laughs> oh, and armpits. Um, so actually kind of a funny story, but I, uh, you know, Rent the Runway has been like pretty huge. And I, uh, so when I was pregnant, I said, oh, well, let me try it because I don't want to get a whole another wardrobe yeah. of maternity clothes. Yeah. And, um, and I, I, I did it for actually a couple of months cause it was so convenient, but I had to stop because the number of clothes that had the armpit smell in them. Ooh. And I, I'm, I'm not, I think I'm fairly genetically lucky in that I don't have that smell. And so for it to be on me when I don't smell like that was just the most reviling feeling <laughs> and it made me so self-conscious. Um, so, so I had to stop my subscription. <laughs> so yeah, armpit smell and feet smell are really just my two pet peeves. <laughs> yeah. Right, right up there. Oh my goodness. <laughs> One thing that I love about fragrance and that we always talk about is, is how closely associated it is to memory. Also, therefore emotions that are associated with those memories. And I think some of, those emotions can be as much joy as it can be sadness and, um, you know, nostalgia and comfort. But I, I think there was one time when I did see someone smelling a fragrance and I've experienced this myself where, where tears come to their eyes. I think there's something so beautiful that you can go so deep into your emotions, which is something that you smelled because maybe it reminds you of somebody that you've lost or just a a past memory. And I think that that is just like fragrance, completely intangible. And I love that. Me too. I think that's a beautiful note to end on. Well, Linda, thank you. It's been really fascinating talking to you. And I hope we get to talk again soon. 